Well, good morning, church. Praise the Lord for another opportunity after um, a long weekend. I hope you enjoyed your holiday weekend. Some of you had Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. So praise the Lord for that. I hope you are well fed. And uh, now you're just uh, hungry for the Lord, for the word. And, and uh, as uh, you continue to digest your meals, let's pray that the Lord would bless us as we uh, chew on some of uh, his word here from Romans. Okay, let's bow down and pray as we begin our study. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that through Christ we have access to your throne. Not in us, not in us, but all through Christ. And we thank you for these realities that we can affirm them, we can sing about them, we can be humbled, Lord, as we reflect on these things. And I pray as we open up your word right now that you would teach us, that you would encourage us, that you would convict us, May the Spirit, Lord, who is present here in us and among us, would direct our attention to this word. Help us as we close off this series of one another's to reflect on this very important aspect of greeting one another, of having and showing affection towards one another in the way that only believers could. Father, I pray that this fellowship here Sunday after Sunday would be a a warm gathering where we would extend the same kind of welcome, same acceptance, same love that we have been extended in Christ through the gospel. Help us, Father, to apply this truth now, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you pick up your Bibles and open to the book of Romans, I wanna start us off with a little quiz, okay? You probably are not ready I didn't prep you beforehand, but um, what is the number one most repeated one another command in the New Testament? If you've been paying attention over the last nine weeks, then you should get that one right. What is the number one most repeated one another command in the New Testament? Anybody? Love, yes, love one another. It's uh, mentioned at least nine times, but there are a lot more passages that have kind of a, a similar effect of the command. But at least nine times, we are told in the New Testament to love one another. Now, what is the second most repeated command? Right? Yeah, you've read, you've read the the uh, title of <laughs> the sermon, absolutely, right? When we think about what would be the second most repeated, we could go and think about forgiveness, right? Forgive one another, be kind to one another, right? Some of these commands, we would probably not conclude that greet one another and not just greet one another, but greet one another with a holy kiss, Okay, of all the types of greetings, this one is commanded five times in the New Testament. And it's not just command that someone uttered, you know, five times in one letter letter to one specific group who just struggled with accepting one another and greeting one another. No, this greeting or this command is written by two apostles in five different letters addressed to dozens of congregations in several different countries. So this morning, we will take a closer look at this command. Some of you might be wondering, why did we choose to end our series on this note? Well, for once, as I already mentioned, this is the second most repeated command, and it's very important for us to consider its significance. Second, it's sort of an awkward command, right? When you think about it, we who live in America, we open up to Romans 16, 16, and we are told to greet one another with a holy kiss. I was just surprised as I was looking through uh, the commentaries and, and just other sermons, how often this verse is just completely skipped over. There are just few comments 
side comments that are made here and there, but overall, it's just, uh, it's not a prominent verse in Romans 16. I think we need to understand and apply it in our context. But third, this command brings us sort of full circle from where we started nine weeks ago, right? We started out with a command to love one another. And we will attempt to close on the same note, and we'll get into that in just a little bit. Now, you know, folks in the ancient world had limited ways to greet one another. Think about us. Today, we have more ways to greet one another than we can even know. We have phones. We have cell phones. We have, well, I don't, but somebody here, I'm sure, has a home phone. Okay, those, those still exist, yes, uh, ads all the time, telemarketers, right? Uh, those are probably the only ones who call that number now, but phones, home phones, cell phones, we have text messages, right? We have instant messages, we have Skype, some of you guys are on Viber, Messenger, Telegram, WhatsApp, I mean, um, all kinds of apps that are available, social media apps, Facebook, Instagram, um, Twitter, just everything that is available that is at our disposal to go and connect with people, right, halfway across the world and be able to tell them hello. You would think that with all of this technology at our fingertips, we would be the most relational people in the history of the world. Yet, our modern technological age has only disconnected us and isolated us more than ever before. When you think about it, two roommates who live in the same house under the same roof would rather connect to one another by chatting online than actually go into the same living room, sit down on the couch, and just catch up with one another. What is wrong with that? Our problem today, friends, is the problem of isolation. Could this text have something to say about this issue of isolation and loneliness, even here in the church? I think it can, and I think it does. Now, as you turn to Romans 16, please go to Romans 16, chapter, or verse 1. Romans 16 is hardly the most exciting chapter in the book. This is the chapter that most of us just skip right over into 1 Corinthians 1.1. Romans as a book, this whole letter, has long been a favorite epistle of Christians, but it seems to end on a very anticlimactic note. I mean, Paul here sends a long list of greetings to individual, most of whom we don't know, most of whom are not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. But this list of names just offers us a very fascinating insight into the early church life. One commentator said this, behind this list of unpronounceable names stands a bedrock truth about the nature of the budding Christian movement and why it had the power to change the ancient world. So, we will attempt to read the unpronounceable names. I invite you to open to Romans chapter 16. We will read from verse one all the way through 16 and see what the Lord would have us learn and apply as we deal with one another. Paul writes this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is at Cancrea, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risk their own necks to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church that is in their house. Greet Epinetus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. 
Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Idronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stychus, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are in the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brethren with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now that is truly a, a list. And as we consider this list, and as we consider this command that comes in, in verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss, I want us to just focus on this one main thought from this entire text. And here's what Paul wants us to know, that since we are bound together by the gospel, our greeting should display genuine affection of love for one another. All of us who are gathered here, I hope, who profess Christ, we are bound together by one confession, by one gospel. And since we are bound by this gospel, then our greeting, our welcoming of one another should display genuine affection. I want us to look at two things from this text. Number one, Paul says that we are to greet one another in the Lord. And number two, he wants us to greet one another with affection. Greet one another in the Lord and greet one another with affection. So as we, as we begin here, number one, he says in verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. What exactly is he commanding us here? And is it binding for us today? Before we look at this qualifier, right, the form of greeting with the holy kiss, we need to look at the command itself. Because Paul's command here, listen, is not that we kiss one another. He's not commanding us to kiss one another. He is commanding us to greet one another. And that is very important. How we are to greet one another is secondary. What we need to do is of most importance, right? The what and the who before the how. So what are we supposed to do? And with whom are we supposed to do it? Think about this, verse 16, greet one another. The definition of, of greet is pretty straightforward. If you were to pull up the dictionary, greet means to draw close or to embrace, to welcome. So bring one another close, welcome one another. You probably notice that there's a lot of greeting here in Romans 16. The word greet is used 21 times in this chapter. In verses uh, three through 15, Paul greets or mentions at least 28 people. And who are these people? Well, they're Jews and Gentiles. There are Roman names. There are Latin names. There are Jewish names. There are males and females. There are different socioeconomic classes. You know, when we think of Paul, we often think of Paul as this great theologian, right? Successful church planner this prolific writer who wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. So this is who Paul is, and, and rightly so. But this chapter here and another chapter like Colossians chapter four, for instance, at the, also at the very end of this letter, when you get to the end of his letters, they reveal another side of Paul, one who is connected with so many people in ministry. And, and, and when I say connected, I, I don't simply mean that he's just aware of other Christians who are around. No, but he is deeply connected. He's deeply concerned for them. Listen, he personally knows their names. And he's just, at the end of the letter, 
just like, hey, greet this guy and this guy and this guy and this woman. Why? Because they have all somehow contributed to his ministry, directly to his ministry or to just the overall spread of the gospel. Listen, he mentions over a hundred different people in his letters by name. Why? Because each individual name was key to the ministry of Christ and to him alone. Paul could not survive in the Christian life alone. And I think this is, if anything, we learn from these, you know, latter chapters, from these closing remarks, it is this. He was deeply relational. He had deep relationships with his people in all of the churches he had planted. Well, uh, we don't have the time to look at each individual name, but I do want to make some observations here from these 16 verses. Who are we to greet? I mean, whom did Paul greet and commend the Roman church to greet? Number one, I just want you to notice that there's a surprising number of women that Paul mentions here. A third of this list are women, names of women. So Paul is not just, listen, concerned about the man. He's not just concerned about pastors, right? And deacons and other leaders, the men in the congregation. He is concerned about the women also. Obviously, he believes that women have a very important role to play in serving the Lord in their proper roles and capacities. I mean, look at, go back to chapter 16, verse one, for instance. In verse one, he mentions Phoebe, who was probably a deaconess in the church of Cancria. She actually may be the one who delivered this letter that Paul wrote. Think about it, Romans, right? Probably the most important letter that Paul wrote. He wrote, single copy, wrote this letter and gave it to this woman to deliver this letter to the church in Rome. Verse three, Prisca, or the other version of her name, Priscilla, is mentioned with her husband, Aquila. They were both Jewish. And according to Acts, we find out that they were Paul's fellow tent makers. In verse six, Mary is mentioned, who worked hard for the saints in Rome. Verse 12, Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. There's also mother of Rufus that's mentioned. In verse 15, Julia and, and the sister of Nereus. Another woman that, that's uh, mentioned probably is in verse 7. If you look at verse 7, it says, Greet Idronicus and Junius. Um, Nasby decided to translate this as a man's name, but there's a very big debate on whether this should be translated as Junius or Junia, referring to a woman. Okay. So there's probably another woman here. I, I, I mean, I think what is important to note in all of this is that the Apostle Paul did not think of church in Rome, right, with his focus on leaders only or few men, but on the entirety of the church, both men and women. They were many women in that congregation who were contributing to the work, many of whom are called workers, servants, to the expansion of the gospel. Second, just judging by the names mentioned here, the church in Rome had people from all walks of life. As already mentioned, there were some Jews, Priscilla and, and Aquila. Rufus, look at Rufus, who is mentioned here. Verse 13, greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord. He was also a Jew. One interesting note about this man, um, Rufus is mentioned in Mark chapter 15, verse 21, where Mark says that his father, Rufus's father, was Simon the Cyrene. Do you guys remember who Simon the Cyrene was? He was the man who was forced to carry the cross of Christ. He was the father of Rufus. Now, Mark's gospel was probably written to the Romans, so the Rufus there in Mark may have been the one that Paul greets here. So we, we cannot make this point emphatic, but uh, it may be referring to the same person. And if so, Rufus 
So his father, right, he was a Jew from Cyrene who had gone to Jerusalem to the Passover and through his encounter with Christ, whether immediately or sometime after that, believed in Christ, trusted him to be his savior and Lord. And now his son Rufus was serving in the church in Rome. It's amazing. Look at some of the names and their meanings, for instance. In verse 9, Stychus, he has a name that means ear of corn, which probably means he had close ties to country or to agriculture. Hermes, in verse 14, is a slave name. Herodian, in verse 11, was likely to have been a member of the household of King Herod. All kinds of people. If you look down to verse 22, 23, and 24, the verses that we did not read here, but Tertius and Quartus are mentioned. Look at verse 22. I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you. And then at the end of verse 23, and Quartus, the brother. Their names simply mean third and fourth. Third and fourth. They don't even have a a proper name Yet they were members of Christ's church. They were probably slaves. Third slave and fourth slave. slave. Saved by Christ, included in the church. And now Paul calls them brother. Tertius, the fourth slave, he's my brother in Christ. Or or, um, Quartus, rather. But look what Tertius does in verse 22. Now He's writing this letter and he says, I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you. Many of you know that Paul did not write his own letters directly. Rather, he had a secretary, someone to whom he dictated his letters and they wrote the letters for him. And so this slave that was saved, he is the secretary through whom Paul is writing this letter to the Romans. It's amazing. But look at this. If you, if you keep reading here in verse 23, along with the low-level slaves, you have an important city official. You have Erastus, the city treasurer, verse 23, greets you. An important city official. So looking at this list of greeting, we see that it was just broad. It was very comprehensive. The church is in Rome was made up of both male and female, rich and poor, Jews and Gentiles. But here's the thing, church, what brought them all together? What united them together? What connected Tertius to Erastus? What connected males to females? What connected Paul to the rest of them. Well, you probably noticed the often repeated phrase as I read, in the Lord. Did you catch that as we were reading? Go back to verse one. Chapter 16, verse two, that you receive her in the Lord. Verse three, Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in the Lord. Look at verse seven, who were in Christ before me. Greet Implied as my beloved in the Lord, verse 8. Verse 9, in Christ. Verse 10, the approved in Christ. Verse 11, who are in the Lord. Verse 12, workers in the Lord. At the end of verse 12, who has worked hard in the Lord. Rufus, a choice man in the Lord. What brought them together was their confession. What brought them together was their belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Earlier in this letter, Paul had expounded what it means to be in Christ. In chapter three, he says that it is by faith in Christ that a man is justified apart from the works of the law. Then in chapter five, he says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in chapter eight, he says, having been placed into Christ by faith, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, 
for those who are united to Christ. So whether you are wealthy or poor, ordinary, or some kind of important figure, male or female, no matter what your background is, friend, God's love and eternal satisfaction is offered to you if you are in Christ and if you will trust him as your savior. Only this gospel can save and bring together ordinary and diverse groups of people to be placed in Christ. So now you are identified as one. What an amazing reality of the gospel. And so now Paul turns around and after greeting his fellow saints, he commands the church in Rome and by extension, all of us to greet everyone who is in Christ. Greet the church, he says. Greet the whole church, every member of the church. The rich should not only greet the rich, the poor should not only greet the poor, the slaves should not only greet the slaves, but also the freemen. Since everyone is in Christ Jesus, brothers and sisters now together in one family, the whole church is commanded. You too, verse 16, greet one another. Why? Because you are one. And so for us, friends, as we consider even our own context here this morning and the, the makeup of our, of our church, as we apply this, adults and, and older saints, think about it. Do you greet others who are outside of your age group? You know, sometimes when, when the church ends, we kind of just navigate and gravitate towards the people that we know, the people that we're more I don't know, comfortable with maybe, the people that we do life together with, but do, do you, older men and women, do, do you greet teenagers, for instance, as part of those who are in Christ? We have saved teenagers, those who are part of our body. Do you stop them? Do, do you ask them how they're doing? Do you embrace them? Do you tell them that, listen, I appreciate you being here to encourage them? Same thing with like younger men and younger women. Do we look up to the older generation who are here to greet them? Do we cross cultural lines, right? To greet one another and be comfortable with one another. Why? Because that's what the gospel promotes. That is the, not only the, the demand, but it enables us to do that. We are a local household of faith where all believers, no matter the background, are welcomed and are not excluded because we are bound by one gospel, friends. So think about this. How else do we apply it? You know, I've been talking to over the last couple of months to our pastors and, and, and deacons about getting, you know, a greeting or a welcome team together. Like, hey, we need to have, you know, a good welcome team, a good greeting team somewhere there outside. As people come in, we need to really be greeting and, and rightly so. But this passage here tells us that every member is a greeter. Every member is a greeter. Right? That's not to say that we don't have a greeting team, but this is the emphasis. We have fellowship, right? Every single morning with coffee where we come together and this is an opportunity for us to come early each Sunday with an intention to minister and to serve in this exact capacity, to greet and to fellowship with one another. Greet people in a very heartfelt, sincere way. Maybe especially those who are less known, maybe shy, maybe prone to being lonely or have spent the entire week alone, we have the opportunity to come and to greet one another here, to encourage one another. You know, a, a hearty embrace, a, a joyful hello can turn someone's bad day into a very joyful day. A friendly smile and a cheerful greeting can truly lighten up someone. When you genuinely feel that someone is happy to see you, it makes you feel loved and wanted. Not only should we be happy to be here, but I think the emphasis here that we should be happy, you're here as well, and communicate that to one another. 
We are welcomed by Christ. And brother and sister, I welcome you into this presence, into this place. So having looked at what we need to do, and that is to welcome, to embrace, to greet one another, and who we are to greet, and that is those in the Lord, those who are of the household of faith, Paul further qualifies the manner in which we need to greet one another. And he said, greet one another with a holy kiss, which brings us to number two, greet one another with affection. Greet one another with affection. Greet one another with a holy kiss. To a typical American, this form of greeting sounds rather foreign or even awkward, right? I mean, it's one thing for a husband to kiss his wife, for a wife to kiss her husband. It's one thing for parents to gather around their children and to kiss them, to kiss parents. But beyond that, I mean, we're getting into some, some very unfamiliar and for some even dangerous territory when we come to this place, greet one another with a holy kiss. But friends, while this concept may be foreign to us, in America, it was a common Christian greeting in ancient times, and it remains so to this day in many cultures, greeting one another with a kiss. In the ancient world, it was customary for man to greet men and for women to greet women with a kiss. There's nothing sensual, nothing sexual about this kiss. It was simply a common form of greeting. The church, however, took this common greeting and transformed it into something special. That is why Paul calls it here a holy kiss, a holy kiss. The Constitution of the Holy Apostles, it's a document which was written around 375 AD as a book to instruct Christian worship, specifically when attending communion. And in one of the sections there in this constitution, um, it is written that when attending the communion table, a deacon attending the table is commanded to read to the congregation the following words. Let, quote, let no one have any quarrel against another. Let no one come in hypocrisy. Then let the man give the man and the women, the women, the Lord's kiss. But let no one do it with deceit as Judas betrayed the Lord with a kiss. So it was an opportunity at the Lord's table to extend this welcome. As Jesus received you into his fellowship, you too greet one another and welcome one another with a kiss. It became a customary for the holy kiss to be expressed at this communion table. Cecil of Jerusalem, one of the early church fathers, he describes this kiss as, quote, a sign that our souls are united and that we banish all remembrance of injury. It was a sign of unity among church members. But as you continue to examine church history, this holy kiss, or as Peter calls it, the kiss of love, changed as time went on. And, and it became more of a formal thing and at sometimes even became misused so that soon people started to uh, kiss the, the doorpost as they were entering into the church or they were kissing communion cups, or some were kissing the Bible. Some were kissing the hand or the finger of the minister. So in the Western church, right around 1200s, this kiss all but died out. But to this day, kissing as a form of greeting is practiced in many parts of the world. Some of you, some of us came from, from those worlds. Some of the, the, the Slavic churches that are gathering here in Sacramento still practice this, holding on to the tradition and cultures, right, uh, that they brought from them all the way here. Like, if, even if you go to some countries in South America, for instance, you might be greeted with a kiss, I don't promise, but you, you might be greeted with a single kiss. Or if you go to like countries like Italy or Greece, they may give you two. That's just, that's just customary form of greeting. But what do we do with this form? We who sit here in Sacramento, 2021, November 28th, what do we do with this form? After all, the Bible commands us to greet one another in this manner. And not once, but five times. 
We read one in Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 26. In 1 Corinthians 6.20, he says, Paul writes, greet one another with a holy kiss. Same thing in 1 Corinthians 13.12. And Peter adds in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 14, greet one another with a kiss of love. And so since same command is given to different churches in different contexts, it stands to reason that it wasn't just for the Romans who couldn't get together. And Paul says, really, what you need to do is start kissing so that you can get together. So we are not free to simply ignore this command. We need to be able to distinguish, however, between the universal principle of this command and how we culturally apply it. Right? The essence of the command, friends, remember this, is not the form. Is not the form. Kissing was how this teaching was applied in the first century in this Near Eastern culture. But I want us to see and, and take out some principle from this so that we now can also be able to apply it. So first of all, here, consider the meaning of the word kiss. Kiss. It's translated uh, from the Greek word philema. Philema, which is derived from a fili- uh, familiar uh, term, phileo. And many of you know what phileo is, right? Phileo is to love in a friendship-like manner. It's an affection that you show to a friend. It's different from agape, phileo. Now, the word friend itself is also has exactly the same root. It's, it's uh, phylos and is derived from the word phileo. So this kiss is always used in reference to uh, touching something, touching the mouth, or the cheek, or the hand, or even the feet of another person. Many of you will recall when someone came over to the house where Jesus was, remember this woman, and she was kissing the feet of Christ. But the meaning here, it's derived from friendship, not from the verb that refers to mouth, right? To kiss is to relate to someone in an affectionate and a friendship way, friendly way, rather than just to touch someone with your mouth. It's an action of friendship and affection. The kiss communicated a certain degree of closeness and belonging. When you kiss someone, what you communicate and what you tell to that person is, I am very close with you. I am intimate with you. Not in the sense of intimacy as we think, like marital intimacy, marital relationship, but a closeness gospel relationship. You know, you can, I don't know, you can shake a hand or, or bump fists with someone with absolutely no sense of closeness, but you cannot do that with a kiss. Even an innocent kiss right on the cheek communicates a certain intimacy. So the kiss then is is a symbol of affection. It's a symbol of love. And that's why I said, in some sense, this command here brings us full circle because nine weeks ago, we started out this series with a command to what? Love one another. Love one another. And so this kind of love, this kind of greeting is a genuine, unhypocritical expression of your love for one another. How are we to love one another? Paul says we are to love with brotherly affection, with genuine love, unhypocritical love. Second, listen, Paul did not invent the idea of a holy kiss and make it binding on all generations on all people for all generations, right? He simply took a cultural greeting and transferred it into a holy greeting. Holy in the sense that it was to be practiced by those whom God had set apart as his own. Holy means those who are in the Lord, those who are in the household of faith. This greeting here had a deeper meaning. It is not an act of lust or deceit, but it is an act of consideration and acceptance of a brother and sister in Christ. So appropriate greetings are expressed in different ways in different cultures. 
In cultures where greeting one another with a kiss, for instance, is acceptable, you may be able to practice this. A holy kiss is, would be the right action. But in other societies like, like ours, right, where, where a handshake or a hug is the customary way of, of expressing greeting, the goal should be a holy handshake, a holy hug. The, the bigger question before us is, do we greet one another at all? And if we do, do we do it in a way that is holy? To greet one another with a holy kiss, maybe a hug or a handshake, means that when we greet, we do so not hypocritically or manipulative. Remember, you know, Judas that was already cited who betrayed Jesus. How did he betray him? How did Judas betray Jesus? He betrayed him with a kiss. That is why when you read Luke twenty-two forty-eight, Jesus asks him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? You see, what he was ultimately saying is your kiss right now doesn't fit the occasion. Outwardly, you claim to love me by kissing me. That is an expression of intimacy, of affection, of love. You're saying, Judas, that you love me by coming close and kissing me. But inside, you're the devil who hates me. They are absolutely, totally incompatible. So, in thinking about this and applying this, do you have some something unresolved, friend, against your brother or, or, or your sister? Do you think evil in your heart against them? And, and yet still, when we all get up and afterwards, you will go up and you will shake their hand and you will give them a hug, maybe smile and say, hello, greetings, welcome. If we do that, we are more like Judah than we are like Jesus. I think it's important for us to test. It's sobering to think about this. Now, third, a kiss in the Bible almost always uh, referred to a familial greeting. In other words, it was a way to express greeting to someone within the family, like a brother or a sister or a parent or, or cousin. So this greeting communicates something about family, right? We already said that Paul is commanding them to greet one another in the Lord. And this is really the point of this command. We should greet one another in the way that is appropriate to greet family because we are one family in Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. This here command to greet one another with a holy kiss actually points to the New Testament reality of the family of God. But let's be honest we don't always feel like greeting one another with a holy kiss, right? Or a holy handshake or a holy hug. What will motivate us to obey this command when it doesn't come naturally to us? I think the answer is always the gospel. The answer is always Christ. You were born, friend, into a family of God because of God's doing Look, he birthed you. He gave you life. In, in John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, John writes, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. And remember the all famous passage in Ephesians chapter two that begins with you were dead. And then in verse four, he says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. He birthed us into this family. So the church member that is sitting next to you or on the other side of the room, he is your brother. She is your Sister, he was saved by the death and resurrection of Christ, just as you were saved. She was born of God in the same way that you were born. 
You can, friend, and you must learn to love him or her. The way we we welcome and greet one another is a testimony to what we believe about how God welcomes and receives us. This tender and affectionate greeting says, you know, I welcome you and I receive you just as God does. And just as the Lord welcomed and received me. Finally, look at the end of this verse, verse 16, where Paul says, all the churches of Christ greet you. Paul extends one final greeting to the Roman church or the Roman Christians from all the churches in Christ. It's interesting, you know, again, to reflect on what that means for us, for Grace Hill Church. These are all the churches here that Paul mentions that Paul had the blessing to plant and to raise up for the glory of God. And with this final greeting, he reminds the the Roman believers here that they were not, you know, single, isolated community of Christians. They were not the church. They were not the only church of Christians. Christ's body, the church, is so much bigger than any one church, one local body. Christ's kingdom is bigger. And, And Listen, when we reflect on this truth, it should bring us encouragement because we are not alone. Because we are not alone. There are other Christians, there are other churches, but it also should humble us because we are not alone. It's not about us. It's not necessarily about this church, the Grace Hill Church. It's about Christ's church. It's about his glory. We are just one small, tiny part of the whole. There are other churches, other Christians that matter to Christ and should likewise matter to us. And we need to be greeting one another, not those who are in the Lord here at Grace Hill alone, but also those who are outside of this local body and welcome them as well. Why? Because of the blood of Christ that unites all of us. So as we pull all these strings together, Friends, the holy kiss indicates a very genuine, personal, intimate, and affectional greeting, an affectionate greeting. It is a a very personal form of touch, which I think communicates something to, to our very isolated and independent and 2021 very lonely age. Think about this. You cannot obey this command the way it was intended in its fullness via the internet. Can you? No. You can't do this on Zoom. You can't do this through YouTube or Skype. In order to obey this, you need close proximity. We need to be together. We need to be here. We need to be somewhere else in another place to do this properly. You need other Christians next to you, not through a television screen, but here, rubbing shoulders. And this is really the point of every single one another, that as we rub shoulders, we have issues. But it is God's grace that enables us to overflow with love towards one another and work through these things. It's much easier to be alone and not deal with issues, but you got more more dangerous issues to deal with when you're alone. This command requires us to be in community. We cannot love people remotely. And what does that remind us? I think Christ demonstrated this, friends. Christ, think about this, he could not love people remotely, could he? He could have been up there in in heaven, say, I love you, you know, come to me, do what you need to do. No, what did he do? He took on the body in order to be among sinners, to deal with our issues, to live among us, to die for us. 
to touch sinners and bear them. And friends, when we come together with the church, we come to worship God, but we also come to be with one another, to greet and to welcome one another as Christ welcomed us. So what's the command? Greet one another. And what a Sunday to welcome new members into our fellowship and genuinely and affectionately greet one another. Well, we have now completed this short series of one another's. And, and if you remember, we've titled this series Grace-Saturated Community. Grace-Saturated Community. Why? Why did we do it? Well, as I mentioned before, as a way of review, every one of these commands, everyone that we looked at, everyone, one another, right? It is rooted in some form and fact of the gospel. Think about this. When we love, pray for, forgive, bear, esteem, accept, encourage, serve, and greet one another, we demonstrate in action that we have been transformed from within by the Spirit to look and act more like Christ than our previous selves. That is what we demonstrate. He's not asking us to do this on our own power. He's asking us to rely on the spirit who is in us and extend this grace to others. When we practice these things in our midst and in this place, our community is saturated with God's grace, which flows in and through every believer. And as we move on to the next study, I want us to remember church, friends, that we're all sinners, yet saints. Sinners, yet saints, redeemed and forgiving, who are able, by walking in the Spirit, to deal with one another in ways that correspond to Christ. And that's why we need to be, and we can be, grace-saturated community of believers. So let's pray, let's sing, And let's greet one another for the glory of God. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, that through him we have acceptance and welcome into your presence. Oh, give us grace, I pray. And let this grace flow in and through us to other people so that as he, as Christ said in in John 13, when they see your relationship, when they see your love displayed, It will affect the unbelievers. It will cause them to wonder. It will cause them to come and to want to experience the same kind of love. This love is supernatural. Help us, Lord, I pray, to reflect as we shake our hands, as we give hugs, and as we kiss in some context. Oh, Lord, may that be a sign of affection and love and appreciation for the unity that we have through the gospel. We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.